Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 33 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwabach, and alongside me, as always, is Chad Knight. It is a pleasure to be here today. (laughs) This episode, we're going to go back to an earlier series we talked about when there were songs that had one word in common in their title. This week, we're going to do the color, or lack thereof, white. Now, across all genres of music, colors make their way into song titles pretty often, actually, dealing with either feeling of the singer or the alignment of what they're singing about. Occasionally, white will be used to symbolize or talk about a sense of purity or rebirth. However, most times, it's really just dealing with the color. Or, again, as I mentioned, for you purists out there, the lack thereof. Today, we're going to be talking about some white songs from a range of artists. So put your all sense of color away, sit back and relax while we get this show started. So how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I, uh, I'm i looking forward to this one, actually. There's a lot of good music on, that we've both got on this one. Okay, there's a couple songs you picked that I'm not too hot on. But for the most part, it's good music all the way around. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started with the trivia question for the day. Ah, uh, yes, the trivia question. We remember two weeks in a row. Yeah. Woo-hoo. Let's see if we can get to three. Axl Rose of Guns N' Roses Correct. used to earn $8 an hour for doing what as part of a UCLA science experiment? That's a good question, and I don't know. Well, you're going to find out in just under an hour. Yeah, sounds good to me. So, who wants to start? Why don't you start this one? All right, so we're going to go ahead and start off with Toby Keith. The song is courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, subtitled The Angry American. Now, Toby Keith is a modern country artist that, as the time changed, he morphed his style into the country rock genre that is pretty prevalent today. This song was written in 2001 with pure and raw emotions. Keith, who was dealing with the passing of his father in March, was, like all of us, shocked and angered when the September 11th tragedy happened. He said it took him 20 minutes to write, focusing on his father's patriotism and faith in the United States and current events. Let's take a listen. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list. And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist. And an eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear Now, initially, he refused to record it, only playing it for troops who loved the song. His, the response was so strong that a Marine Corps co- commandant, James L. Jones, told him, quote, it's your job as an entertainer to lift the morale of the troops, following up with, if you want to serve, this is what you can do. It peaked on the country charts over the 4th of July weekend in 2002 and had some controversy surrounding it, with some calling it warmongering or fear or anger inducing. Most people, however, disagreed and felt the song to be a great patriotic anthem. I'm not a huge country guy. I like modern better than classic. And I'm not a huge fan of all of his work, but this is one of my favorite songs of his. It really makes you kind of swell with pride to be raised red, white, and blue. Absolutely. You know, as you as you were just talking about this, I got I to gotta be honest. You know, 
being the ages that we are, mm-hmm. 2001 still invokes a kind of kind of a sick taste in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. And as I'm sitting here and you're reading about 9/11, and I'm kind of goosebumping up. Yeah, I was too, actually. You know, and it, it's one of those things. It's like you know, they say every generation has that spot where you know where you were, you knew what was going on when one X happened. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where you were? I know exactly where I was. In fact, I was going to ask you that question myself. Well, we'll get to that. I know where I was, too. Okay. I was actually sitting in the commons. I was having breakfast the morning that it happened, and I was looking up at the TV, and people thought it was a joke because it was after the first plane hit, and they were looking up, and CNN had it all covered, and then I actually was watching the TV when the second one did. Okay. And I was furious. I was just furious. I mean, I didn't do anything stupid like a lot of people did. I remember that day also that gas went up to like $7 a gallon because people were gouging. Yeah. Those people got closed down because of it. Yep. But yeah, I remember that incredibly vividly. I mean, I don't remember what was on my tray because it was kind of the least of my worries. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's everything was announced. They had like all the TVs and all the classrooms had like, you know, if you have support groups, if you want to talk to administration, that's great. You know, it wasn't quite the, you know, we're going to shut the college down like it is today. But I mean, it was it was huge. It was probably one of the biggest tragedies that the U.S. has really modern suffered. Right. Where were you? Or what, what school were I you I was at, at UW-Stowe. Okay. I was at NTC at the time. I was working on getting my degree. And the way that school was taught there at the time, and I don't know if they're still like that, was, you know, if you were walking down the hall and you saw a, a classroom that maybe you might enjoy what's going on in there. You look in. You could look in. You could sit down in the back of the room. You know, don't cause a hassle and, and all that kind of stuff. So there was a graphic design class mm-hmm. that I like to go to all the time. I mean, I missed like half of it all the time, but it was kind of cool to see what the, <laughs> what the other students had done. And sure. Stuff. Well, I missed half of it because I was in a different class. It, it wasn't one of my classes, but I was, remember this morning, I was, that morning I was walking down the hall and I look in and there's a plane. I watched the second plane fly in as well. There's a plane flying into the Twin Towers and I'm like... I'm thinking graphic design class. Oh, and that they like just made somebody it up. did that, you know, as kind of a, mm-hmm. you know. And I said to one of the guys I knew in the back of the room, I said, "Who did that one?" And he goes, "They don't know." What do you mean they don't know? And he goes, "That's not graphic design. That's real." And I will tell you, I had a daughter that was born in July of 2001. Okay. And I had a daughter that was born in '99. And that was the first thought. That was my first thought. America's under attack. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you process that, it's... Make sure your family's okay. Where's my wife? Where's my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, so I left. And actually, the tech, they did close down. I found out the next day or two, they, they had actually closed us down because of, you know, imminent threat. Because they didn't know what was coming next. Because oh, yeah. first it was the Twin Towers. Then it was the Pentagon. The, the Pentagon and then, you know, the, the plane that they were pretty sure was headed for the White House got taken down in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But nobody knew what was going on. Oh, no. And they, while they told us somewhat, they didn't really give us enough to be well-informed because right. they didn't know. Because nobody knew. And, you know, and then you find out that the president is in the air and he's the only airplane in the air. And then you find out that the president has been hidden away somewhere. And your mind as, an, as, as a citizen just... It's terrifying. It is. I, I mean, I left school instantly. I'm like, I went home. My wife and kids were at home at the time, and I went home, and it was just one of those things. You just grab your family and just kind of mm-hmm. hug them, and you know, and then you start thinking, then you start talking to, start talking to my wife. What do we do? You know, what if America is under attack? What right. Do we What's do? the next step? Right. Because we don't have guns. We're not gun people. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a sword, but you know what? 
if somebody's coming in, a sword's not going <laughs> to do me much. Knife to a gunfight, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, what you know, what what's our next move? And it's a really scary thought. I mean, the thought, just just the thought that we were under attack. It's unheard of. And it's terrifying. Well, just like modern events today, you know, I mean, if something were to escalate to the point of an attack, it's terrifying. Right. Um, getting back with this one here, I mean, Wasa, I'm going to admit, Wasa is kind of a lily white town. I mean, there's, yeah, there's more minorities now than there used to be, mm-hmm. um, like when we were kids, but it's generally a white town. UW Stout, not really as much, because we've got a lot of people that came in from the Twin Cities. Okay. Because we were, I mean, UW Stout's right over by Eau Claire. And so there's a lot of people right on the border that came in. So we had a lot of people of different ethnic origins. So one of the biggest things that they put out there was do not do anything stupid and, you know, pro- uh, basically profess love as opposed to hate. Right. Which in a mixed bag that we had over there was huge. Right. And fortunately, I think there might have been a couple of arrests of people doing something stupid, but nothing like nobody got killed, nothing like that. But I mean, it could have gotten could have gone a lot worse. And I mean, now getting back to the song, though, right? I love this song. I, I have from the first time I heard it. It's just the idea of some guy sitting there thinking about what would happen, or you know, what's our response to mm-hmm. as we found out terrorist groups attacking us, killing three thousand people. Well. Number one, don't do it because if you do, we're going to come get you. And we've been in a war for many years because of that. Mm-hmm. Number two, if you come here again, we're going to kick your ass. <laughs> you know, and yes, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's warmongering because America's, you know, America's the bully. And you hear that a lot, though. And in some cases, they might be right. But in this case, you came here. You, you po- did this. You poked the bear. You did this on our soil. Right. And in that case, this response, this response of you come back, we're going to kick your ass. Is justified. Absolutely. And the song is great. I mean, it does. It kind of gives you that full chest of pride when you listen to it. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And there are some groups, again, there are some groups out there, we won't mention the names because I don't like to speak of them, who got into a war with Toby Keith about it. And he basically gave him the finger and said, shut up. Yeah. You and know, they went down hard. I don't think they ever recovered from that. Yeah, it's quite possible. So what do you got next? All right. So up next, uh, we're gonna trade. We're gonna go from terrorist groups to racial in- injustice. So up next, I've got "Black and White" by Michael Jackson. Now he was an American singer, songwriter, and dancer, dubbed the King of Pop. He was one of the most popular entertainers in the world and was the best-selling music artist of all time at his death. Jackson's contributions to music, dance, and fashion, along with his publicized personal life, made him a global figure in popular culture culture for over four decades let's listen to a song black and white black i'm sorry let's listen to a song black is it black and white or black or white i don't know it's black or white i'm pretty sure because i wrote it both ways here okay all right we're gonna listen to it either way let's listen to a song black or white This song hints at racial issues in America. It takes a fun look at saying that if you wanted to get with Michael, it didn't matter if you were black or white. The song delves deeper into the topic with Michael saying, he ain't afraid of your sheets, an obvious reference to the Ku Klux Klan. I think it's a powerful song aimed at the race tensions 
of the time. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the 60s, but in the late 80s, early 90s, it was still there. Mm-hmm. And I really like this song. What about you, Lil? It's a good song, and, you know, it really... It's it's very uh, almost preachy, but not really about not equality, but what's the word I'm looking for? Acceptance and embracing it. You know, I mean, yeah, we're all different, but if you're going to be my brother, it doesn't matter what color you are, because mm-hmm. we're all, you know, brothers in the human race type thing. Right. And it's got a great message. It's got you know Michael Jackson's typical songwriting voices and singing to it. It's it's one of his top ones in my opinion. Excellent. And and if we can we can diverge to the. Uh to the video for a second, the the face meshing he did at the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, you brought this up before we did this, but it was amazing how they seamlessly could take a Asian woman and make it a black guy into, you know, a white girl, into mm-hmm. an Asian girl. And it was just the, the, the technology they used at the time. Yeah. yeah. Now it's not so big. I could probably do it on my phone if I had well, enough knowledge. Well, yeah, they de-age people in movies, like, you know, right. like they did with a whole bunch of things. Well, they know. added people into the Star Wars movie with, uh, like, uh, Tarkin. Guy's been dead for 15 years, and yet he had a role in the latest Star Wars movie. Right, right, right. So, what do you got next? Well, next, we're going to go to Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent. All right, Uncle Teddy. Exactly. We've got Great White Buffalo that was released in 1974. I was introduced to Uncle Ted way back in the day, as most people were, with Cat Scratch Fever, which was released in 1977. As with many bands that I take a liking to, I went back and listened to some of his back catalog and came across this one, and for whatever reason, just resonated with me. Okay. I, I don't know why, if it's the guitar work or whatever the case was, I just really, really enjoyed it. Well, let's take a quick listen. Now, back in his Amboy Dukes days, Nugent was tuning up his Birdling guitar, and happenstance came upon the main riff for this song. Bandmate Rob Grange said he liked it, but Nugent couldn't reproduce it. So after working a little bit more in the studio, it came out again, and he finally got it down pat and recorded it. The song is a take on the great Indian legend, that of the mythical Great White Buffalo, that rockingly tells a story and has resonated a pump-you-up song for Whitetail's deer hunters. One guy back in the dorm in the early 2000s, (laughs) <laughs> readied himself for every deer hunting season by cranking this tune before he left for the weekend. Even hearing the song on repeat half a dozen times didn't really uh, make my love for the song go away. A little piece of trivia on this one, too, is That 70s Show, set in Wisconsin. Yep. Point Place, which doesn't exist, but from the best I can tell is Kenosha. It's supposed to be north of Kenosha, but south of Point. Yeah. Somewhere in that region. Yeah, it's... But they've had a huge amount of guest stars on there, one of which was Ted Nugent. And when he's noodling around on his guitar, he actually breaks into the opening riff for Great White Buffalo. Oh, okay. Which I thought was cool as hell when I first watched it. I'm like, oh, I know that song. That, that, that's the episode where Donna's trying to do an interview with him backstage. Exactly. And she ends up spending hours back there. And, and while Eric is sitting out there talking to, the, talking to the janitor. Yeah, and okay. Although the best part, though, is the, the Ted Nugent Fez shirts. <sighs> They, they let us go because apparently being stupid isn't a crime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this song, I'd never heard of it before we started preparing for this. I love the music, the guitars, the, the, the whole package of the music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't resonate to me the same way that it does to you, which is fair enough. You know, we, we like similar music, but we disagree from time to time. I listen to it 
and I was just kind of like, it was meh for me. I mean, the music's great. The the song as a whole is just kind of like, would I turn off the radio if it came on? Probably not. But, but you wouldn't seek it out. I wouldn't seek it out. Yeah, but I'm fair not. Enough. I'm not gonna go. Well, what oldie station might this be on? You know, I, I I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, Ted Nugent. Who doesn't like Ted Nugent? Well, a lot of people. Have, but well, we're not gonna get into that. Yeah, if we if we want to go politically, I can't stand the man politically. But I'm not listening to his politics. I'm listening to his music. Well, that being said, let's look at it this way. If, if I go by politics when I listen to, I can't listen to Springsteen anymore. I can't listen to Bono anymore. I can't watch anything that Sean Penn has done. Right. So that's why. I don't care about their political affiliations. I just want to listen to music. And he fucking rocks. Yeah. I mean, you've got you've got him in his early days. You've got his solo stuff. you got his damn Yankee stuff. You, you know, I like this damn Yankee stuff. There's people out there that will argue with me. It's a little softer than what we're used to. But, yeah, it's still pretty right. good rock and roll. It's pretty good rock and roll. So that's about all I got. So well, let's follow it up. All right, we will. We're going to follow it up with another guy, another group from the 70s. Uh, Foreigner is a British-American rock band, originally formed in New York City in 1976 by veteran English musician Mick Jones and fellow Britain and ex-King Crimson member Ian McDonald, along with American vocalist Lou Graham. Jones came up with the band's name as he, McDonald, and Dennis Elliott were British, while Graham, Al Greenwood, and Ed Gagliardi were American. Their biggest hit single, I Want to Know What Love Is, topped the United Kingdom and United States charts, among others. Let's listen to Dirty White Boy. Basically, this song is just a guy saying, look, I'm not fancy. I'm not anything special. I'm just a dirty white boy. I'm not the guy you want to bring home to your family, but I'm still an, I'm still a man. You're, you're, you're still going to have fun with me. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great song. What are, what are your thoughts? Here? I enjoy it. And um, one of the things I brought up that I just remembered is um, you remember the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, right? Yep. On Discovery Channel. When they were having the commercials, they actually played this song in the background for it because... As doing dirty jobs, he was a dirty white boy. Yeah, quite often, actually. Disgusting white boy, actually. Did you did you ever watch that series? All the time. See, and I never really did. I, I watched a couple. I've got DVDs of it, actually. Yeah, and that's one I'm not going to say I need to borrow that, because I don't. So individual episodes were actually pretty amazing. I'm sure they were, but the ones I saw on TV, I just, I, I was never like, it never pulled me in, you know? Mm. And there's so much I want to watch all the time that if it doesn't just like grab me and go, come here! You know, if it doesn't do that Sub-Zero thing or... Oh, the Scorpion <laughs> thing. Get over here! Yeah, yeah. there you go. I, I just... I move on because it's just... I don't have the time. Fair enough. That being said, getting back with the song, it's a good classic rock song. I mean, yeah. Foreigner puts out good music when they're not doing sappy love ballads that play at every damn dance ever. They put out some good rock and roll music, and this is no exception. I would agree. Yeah. So, what do you got next? Next, we're going to go to the 80s and jump into a little bit of White Wedding by Billy Idol. Oh, the memories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every wedding, every wedding you listen to the song. Oh, yeah. And any 80s flashback movie or anything has this song on there because Idol was pretty much the epitome of the 80s. Oh, yeah. The hit song came off of his self-titled debut in 1982, being one of the most recognizable songs in his catalog. It's any staple, or it's a staple of any 80s compilation, and is a quintessential artist of the decade. 
there's a ton of different interpretations from drug addiction to Satanism all the way to incestuous relations. However, per Billy Idol himself, it's not truly about any of those things, but rather about someone he loves getting married to someone else while he still has a thing for her. Let's take a quick listen. It's a nice day to start again. It's a nice day for a white wedding. It's a nice day to start again. Now, while his sister was getting married, and that's what inspired the title, the term little sister is a slang term for girlfriend, which is where the similarities end. As we've spoken about earlier, I don't care for reading into the songs. So that didn't really bother anything for me. It's just a good classic 80s punk song from a great artist. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, and he did, I don't know if it's two versions, but I know there's a White Wedding 2. And an extended one that's like, what, like 13 minutes long? And, I mean, you look at the music, just look at the music of it. It's amazing in its own right. It was something that hadn't really been done before. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a mesh of rock and roll and punk. And it was kind of like jammed together, but it worked. Right. And then you put the lyrics in there, and it's kind of naughty. Just a little bit, yeah. You know, but for some reason, and it's got to be the title, it's played at every wedding you go to. And you're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> there it is, you know. And it's it's funny. Uh, I just, I really enjoy the song. Not as a wedding song, but even though it played at my wedding. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it was just one of those things, you know. And, and I do have a memory of this song being at a wedding and perhaps making out with someone well, this song was going on. Not your little sister. Not my little sister. Okay, good. Because A, I don't have a little sister, and B, fucking gross. <laughs> I think not having one would be even the grosser part of it, actually. <laughs> if I was making out with my little sister that I didn't have? Fair enough. All right, so on that note, we're just moving on. All just right. Moving on. What do you got next? So up next, I have the Moody Blues, and they are an English rock band formed in Birmingham in 1964. They first came to prominence playing rhythm and blues music, but their second album, Days of Future Past, which was released in 1967, was a fusion of rock with classical music and established them as pioneers in the development of art rock and progressive rock. It has been described as a landmark and one of the first successful concept albums. They became known internationally with singles including Go Now, Nights in White Satin, Tuesday Afternoon, and Question. They have been awarded 18 platinum and gold discs. The Moody Blues have sold 70 million records worldwide. Let's go about this clip of Nights in White Satin. Nights in White Satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Never meaning to send So, this melodic song about love found recently and been missed for a long time, I find the song to soothe me and make me think of love. It's truly an amazing soft rock song. It, You know, the Moody Blues, they do a lot of that kind of music. Very gentle, flowing, soft rock kind of stuff. I mean, they do have some stuff that's not that way. It's got a subtle power to it. Yeah, it does. It absolutely does. It, it gives you 
it makes you think of certain things. They they make you think of what they're trying to get across to you. Yeah, it definitely evokes um, some kind of impression upon you. And the fact that it almost sounds like it has a bit of a like an echoey reverb, like it's almost sound in like sung in a tunnel of sorts. That I think adds to the kind of the melancholy of it. And mm-hmm. I really dig the song because of that. Excellent. So yeah, uh, that's all I really have on that one. I, you know, if you like the clip, go listen to the whole song. If you know the song, you know what we're saying. And you know what? I will have to say this. I mean, Moody Blues is a great band altogether. I mean, you can't go wrong with their catalog. No, absolutely so, I mean, not. If you, if you dig this one, check out some of their other stuff because they have put on a ton of really good music. Excellent. What do you, what do you got next? Next, we're going to go with a little bit of Skinner. All right. We're going with Red, White, and Blue by Leonard Skinner. This was released in 2002. The Van, this Van Zant, Donnie and Johnny, and Warren, Brett and Brad, Penn Ballad. So everybody. Four people with two last names. That's great. Was written for and about the everyman. Johnny sings about being just regular people who live regular lives and have a strong sense of love and pride for their country and family. Really, what more is there, you know? I, I like the line in there where he goes, my skin is white, my neck is red, and my collar's still blue. And I've always been red, white, and blue. Yep. Well, let's take a listen. Oh, my hair's turning white My neck's always been red My collar's still blue We've always been here Just trying to sing the truth to you Yes, you could say Now, while this is a lot slower than a lot of Skinner's other catalog, it definitely succeeds as a story ballad telling the main story of how life just seems to be. It also strives to remain humble as well as evidenced by we don't care if you're a lawyer or Texas oil man or some waitress busting ass in some liquor stand. If you got soul, we hang out with people just like you. I don't look for messages, as you know, but this one is straight up in your face and I love it. Yeah, they love their families, they love their kids, and that's how it is. They even said, we love our families, we love our kids, you, you know it is love that makes us all so rich, and if they don't like it, they can get the hell out. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, it's a decent song. It's not my favorite from the Skinner catalog, probably because it is more of a... a slower ballad Slower ballad and that's not what, when I think of Skinner, that's not what I think of. Mm-hmm. But it's a good song. It's got, like you said, it, it tells a story, it's got a message to it, and it's not a bad message. You know, in a lot of cases now, pride in your country seems to be kind of taboo almost. Yeah. And that's sad to me. It is. And this one to me is, it's about the feels. I'll bring that one up. Yep, absolutely. And it makes me think of my family and no matter how much you do or don't have, you're still rich because you have them. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that's, that's the number one message. And, you know, I mean, you could be living in a box, but as long as you get your family and their care yeah i mean you really can't ask for more you know i remember growing up and i didn't grow up in a rich you know household Mm -hmm. but if somebody needed something my parents found a way oh yeah absolutely it's the same with our family you know if the neighbors were down on their luck and they needed food or something they got some you know if if you know we would on the rare occasion you'd see somebody asking for food or money or something on the ramp to the to the highway you know, my mother was one of the kind of people that would, you know, take them down a bowl of soup that she made or something, you know, just because they were the type of people that, you know, were all Americans. So we need to watch out for each other. Absolutely. 
You know, I may not be able to give you the money you need to get back on your feet, but here you don't have to starve. Exactly. You know, so, and, and that's kind of what this song, the, the visions this song brings up in my head. So, it's a good song. Like I said, it, it's not my favorite Skinnerd song, but it is a very good song and has a very good message. And the fact that it's Skinnerd, that doesn't hurt anything. No, not at all. Yeah, this, I just wish, and this is just my soapbox for a second, I just wish more people went by this message. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people espouse the message, but... They don't you, live it. Yeah, you it, you gotta live it. It's, it's like the United Way. You can say it all you want, but you need to live united. You need exactly. to live the message. So let's go with something new for you. All right, so for me, we're going to go a little more new age. Well, not new age. That's not the right word. A little more current. So I've got The Offspring is an American punk rock band from West Garden Grove, California, formed in 1984. The band is often credited alongside fellow California punk bands Green Day, Bad Religion, NOFX, Pennywise, and Rancid for reviving mainstream interest in punk rock in the 1990s. Let's listen to a clip of the song Pretty Fly for a White Guy. Gliebing, Globing, Globin, or something like that, is a direct ripoff of Def Leppard, but it works perfectly as the opening of this song. You know, the song is about wannabes. You know, those white guys that think they're gangsters? Oh, yeah. And I'm not talking 1920 gangsters. I'm talking 1980s gangsters. And, you know, they just, it, they really are just sad. They're sad, sad people. But they're hilarious. Well, they are. So this was kind of a public service announcement, I call it, to say, be yourself. And don't be a poser. I like the song a lot. What about you, Lou? I I always enjoyed The Offspring. I've never really had a bad thing to say about them. Most of their work, it moves quick. It's it's short enough to keep your attention span, which I do like about their stuff. And it, it rocks hard enough that it it's still punk, but it's still rock also. Right. And I don't know. I just I enjoy it. The video for it's hilarious. I don't think I've ever seen the video. Oh, it's it's pretty damn funny. We'll have to check that one out. But. Uh, no, it's it's an entertaining song. It's probably one of my more favorite ones, if that is a grammatically correct song. I don't think it's grammatically correct, but I think everybody gets the idea. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's more gooder than the other ones. I love more gooder stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good one to listen to. I would check it out. Some of their older stuff is a little bit more higher pitch, but everybody's going to recognize something by Offspring. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so what do you got up next? We're going to slow things down a little bit. Uh, not a whole lot, but just a little. Okay. We've got Snow White Queen by Evanescence. Now, Snow it's White... It's a song. It, it, it is indeed. Snow White Queen came off the album The Open Door. Per singer Amy Lee, who was Drew Worthy, and I make no qualms about that, was the first song that was written, that was written for. She also states the song was inspired by her own personal experiences with stalkers, specifically her privacy being invaded so terribly that she didn't feel she could stay in her own home. Hmm. Not cool. Not cool at um, all. Well, let's take a quick listen here.
You know how everyone talks about how easy and how great it would be to be a famous actor or musician? This is kind of proof that says it's not really all it's cracked up to be. Uh, the song has a, really, has a really good memory and a beat that starts and turns into a hard rock song. The topic and lyrics are fucking creepy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, scary creepy. Um, and the vocals that are used at the beginning of the song, mm-hmm. in the, the heavily synthesized vocals, right. makes it even creepier. Right. You know, and it's really a shame that people out there are so demented that they think that stalking is acceptable and that people get their lives so messed up by others, by their biggest fans, that it can either end their lives, such as the case of, like, Selena or, um, who was the dude, uh, Lennon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and unlike the film Van Wilder, where Ryan Reynolds says to Tara Reid, are you stalking me? Because that would be super. And it's cute. More times than not, that's not how stalkers work. Yeah. That's not super at all. Yeah, stalking, the thing about it is, they're like, I love this person so much that I'm going to follow and know everything they do. But the problem with that is they don't want you there. No, not so much. You know, and they always seem to have this demented thought that if I stalk them long enough, they'll fall in love with me. And that's kind of like Stockholm Syndrome, which is also not cool, which is, you know, where somebody's kept captive long enough that they start siding with the captive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I don't know how the human mind works in such a way that that's an acceptable thing. However, the song, Snow White Queen, it's creepy. It's very, the music kind of chills your backbone, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. I don't like the song. Really? I don't. The portions where you actually hear her voice, not all, all synthesized as shit. I mean, she's got a great voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it just, to me, I don't like the song. It, uh... Maybe it's the creep factor, you know, maybe it's the fact that, you know, I've got daughters and the thought of somebody creeping on my daughters kind of makes your blood boil. I'll take your word for that. Someday, someday, my friend, you'll get to know this. Well, I have to say that if this were to be not the daughters, but like any family members, uh, they had better hope their life insurance is paid up. Yeah, exactly. It's just one of those things, you know, but overall, I don't like the song. Even though some of the elements are done amazingly well. Okay, like the, I can buy that. The synthesized voice, the just the the whole creepiness of it all is done well. I just don't like the song. That's a good thought. Are we gonna redeem ourselves on this one? We are we are gonna go completely to the opposite end of the spectrum. We're gonna go back to the fifties. Okay. We are going to talk about Bing Crosby, who was an American singer and actor. Crosby's trademark warm bass baritone voice made him the best-selling recording artist of the 20th century, having sold over one billion records. That's right, a B billion. Nice. Tapes, compact discs, and digital downloads around the world. The first multimedia star from 1931 to 1954, Crosby was a leader in record sales, radio ratings, and motion picture grosses. Here, let's listen to White Christmas. Of a white Christmas With every Christmas card I write May your days be merry So White Christmas is a classic 
Christmas song that has been in many movies. I think it was, they sang it in every one of the concerts I went to for my daughter's Christmas concerts. It's just, it's there. It's everywhere. It's it's one of my favorite versions. His version is one of my favorite versions of this iconic song. He has got that, I mean, he's a crooner. There's no other way around it. He can sing. He's got a, he's got a great voice. He's got a voice I wish I had. Yeah. You know, type thing. But I hope everybody enjoys his music as much as I did, especially his holiday music stuff. You know, I, I don't know. Lou, what are your thoughts about this? He has one of the most soothing voices I have ever heard. I mean, honestly, if he were a doctor, he could give the worst news in the world and people would be like, okay. Because really, think <laughs> Thanks, about it. Thanks, doctor. Yeah. You know, could you sing it again for me? Yeah. I mean, he could, he could be telling you the worst news possible, you know. He'd be like in the middle of cutting your leg off and singing about it in such a way that would be like, well, I can accept that. He can, he can be like that doctor in the joke that's like, I got bad news for you. You got 24 hours to live. All right, I got bad news for you, and I got worse news for you. You got 24 hours to work to live. That's the bad news. What's the worst news? I should have told you yesterday. Right, exactly. And you'd be like, okay. Okay, well, could you sing it again while I'm on my way out, please? Right. <laughs> you know, and it's he's got just such a velvet voice. I yeah. mean, it's just such a butter-smooth velvet voice. And I believe, wasn't the song written for the movie? White Christmas, I believe, was. Or, or did they do the movie because of the song? I no, don't know. I think, I know Irving Berlin wrote it. Mm-hmm. I think it was for the movie. Which is another classic staple of any Christmas viewing, period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that and Holiday Inn have to be on every Holiday Inn, um, I'm a big fan of the Bells of St. Mary's, and... Uh, Miracle? Miracle Miracle on 34th Street. And there's one more, and I always forget the name of it, but it's the one with... Uh, the Jimmy Stewart one? Yeah, the Jimmy Stewart one. Oh, damn it, now I can't remember it. Yeah, um, but, I mean, people know what I'm talking about here. I just recently saw it for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that not an awesome show? It is. It's definitely a thinker. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you that. All right. So what do you got next? I, I don't. I'm still trying to remember the name of that damn movie. But <laughs> next, and it's going to come to us. Yeah. It, we'll, um, we'll think of it. You know, after we stop recording. Exactly. Um. Next, I've got White Queen by Queen. Interesting. Released in 1974, this song came out as part of the Queen Two album. While not a true concept album, the LP was labeled as Side White and Side Black. Okay. Which. I think all vinyl was black, but we're, we're not going to go into that. Well, um, they could color vinyl. But did they really very often? Not back then. They do now. Well, yeah. But moving on. Having all the songs on their respective sides loosely follow that theme. Guitarist Brian May stated he drew inspiration for this song from a girl he knew from biology class that he thought was the perfect woman. Let's take a listen about White Queen. So from biology class, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, accordingly, he only asked her out due to being dared to do so and is still friends with her. So apparently nothing really truly happened, but... Well, a friendship happened. Well, but I mean nothing romantically. Right, right. Um, the song was a bit of an enigma for me, and I don't know, I guess I wasn't quite sure what I expected from White Queen, but it was exactly what I expected from them. Okay. If, if that makes sense. It's a ballad, sure. It starts off quiet and lovely, and then about a minute and a half, it goes all queen rock and roll. Mm -hmm. And it turns into a power ballad. 
and then it goes back to the softer side. It's, I don't know, it sounds a bit depressing if you listen to the lyrics, but overall it's a decent song. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite Queen songs. I wouldn't put it on their greatest hits, personally, but it's definitely worth listening to. Now my question would be, because I was unable to tell, was it Freddie Mercury voice, voice or vocals, or was it Brian May's vocals? That I'm not sure. Because it didn't really sound like Freddie in a lot of ways when I was when I was listening to it. That said, I thought it was a really good song. Like you said, definitely a ballad, maybe a power ballad. And I had never heard it before we started doing this episode. Oh, and me neither. And it was one of those songs that, you know, I heard it now. I, I enjoyed it. I, am I going to go run out and buy Queen 2 just for this song? Oh, no. No, no, no. no not at all. But it was fun. It was interesting, and now with the backstory to it, it even gives it a little more credence to the words that they used. Sure. You know, and I think it's I think it's a decent song. I think it's worth a listen, if nothing else. And, you know, it's Queen. Exactly. It, it, it's fucking Queen. Go listen to it. If you don't like it, don't listen to it anymore. But you got to give them a chance, because with, with Freddie and the boys, it's just that was a band that worked well together. They did their entire time. Unfortunately, you know, Freddie was taken from us early because he didn't know where to keep his pecker. It's true. He died of AIDS. <laughs> I mean, but it was just one of those things. It's it's just, I don't know. I really enjoyed the song. But uh, should we move on? Absolutely. Now, I was doing a little bit of looking while you were speaking here, too. And okay. According to Wikipedia, which we know is always true. Oh, yeah. There's nothing wrong <laughs> on that thing. It just says the white side is very diverse. Four of the five numbers were composed by May where one is instrumental, one is sung by Mercury, the next is sung by Mercury, and the last by May. So it may very well have been. It could have been, yeah, which would have explained which would have explained the vocal irregularities or differences. Yeah, that's a better word. All right, so up next, Cream was a 1960s British rock supergroup power trio consisting of drummer Ginger Baker, guitarist singer Eric Clapton, and bassist singer Jack Bruce. The group's third album, Wheels of Fire, was the world's first platinum-selling double album. Okay. The band is widely regarded as the world's first successful supergroup. In their career, they sold more than 15 million copies of their albums worldwide. Their music included songs based on traditional blues such as Crossroads and Spoonful, and modern blues such as Born Under a Bad Sign, and as well as more eccentric songs such as Strange Brew, Tales of Brave Ulysses, and Toad. Let's take a listen to White Room. In a white room with black curtains near the station. Black roof country, no go payments, tired starlings. I really enjoy this song. It's a song about a guy getting ready to get on a train and he's either headed to see a girl or from a girl. I can never really quite figure that out. But it's just one of those songs where it's... It's fucking Clapton, okay? That, that That's part of it. But it's just one of those songs that catches your imagination. The way the music is put together, the way that Clapton sings this one, it just kind of grabs hold of you. It's, it's that whole it's that whole grabbing a hold of me type mm-hmm. theory again. And this song really does that. What are your thoughts on this song? The fact that it starts off with a very descriptive part, you know, in the white room at the station with black curtains. Right. It's very descriptive saying basically where you're starting. It's, you know... It's it's like in, I'm just I'm sorry I'm going back to D and D for a second. It's like your dungeon master is the singer songwriter saying this is where you're starting, and it gives you a good place to start, and then it tells upon the story. 
Cream did a great job with that. Even throughout all of their span, their music, they did the same thing. You mentioned Strange Brew. That's one of my favorite of their songs. I know okay. it's a lesser known one, but it's sometimes how that works. Yeah. What can you really say that hasn't already been said about White Room that we didn't already say on our Supergroup episode? Yeah, that's true. It's it's a song that we are doubling up, which I guess I didn't really put two and two together, otherwise I wouldn't have picked it. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to not make it like, oh, they just use the same 50 songs in their episodes. They just name them different. I don't want to do that. Well, in this case, I did appreciate it because it saved me a little bit of work on editing. <laughs> so thank you for that. But no, it's it's on the reason for good. It's on the list for good reason. It's a great song. Yeah, absolutely. Where are we going next? Now, here's a question. I know what your last song is. Do you want to save that as the, the show finale and I'll do a double? Or do you want to... Why don't we do that? Why don't we have you do a double? Because the... The last one, I think... Is, we're probably going to talk about the longest. And we're going to end on a high note. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't the, know about you, but your next one, I think it'll be a short talk. Well, I don't know if it's so much of a short talk, but it's not the best thing Jefferson Airplane has ever put out. Okay, well, why don't you enlighten so Je- us? Jefferson Airplane was a rock band based in San Francisco, California, who pioneered psychedelic rock. Formed in 1965, the group defined the San Francisco sound and was the first from the Bay Area to achieve international commercial success. They were headliners at the three most famous American rock festivals of the 1960s. Monterey in 1967, Woodstock in 1969, and at Altamont in 1969. And the first Isle of Wight music festival in 1968 in England. Their 1967 breakout album, Surrealistic Pillow, ranks on the short list of the most significant recordings of the Summer of Love. Two songs from that album, Somebody to Love and White Rabbit, are among Rolling Stone's 500 greatest songs of all time. Well, here's White Rabbit. And if you go chasing rabbits And you know you're going to fall Tell them our hookah, smoking caterpillar Has given you This song is very psychedelic in nature. Yeah. I'd like to say that I know what the hell they were thinking or singing, but I don't. I, I don't think I'm high enough. If you, and as much as I say I don't look for themes, this one you almost have to look for a theme. And you can kind of relate it, I believe, because they talk about growing bigger, getting smaller, what do you take, what do you take. I mean, it between it's, the title and whatever, it's Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a mind fuck to begin with. Oh, yeah. Have you ever actually read Alice in Wonderland? I did recently, actually, oh, okay. on, on Kindle. and was it's messed up. Lewis Carroll was high as when he was... Oh, yeah. There's no way that somebody sober could come up with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I would totally agree with that. That was... It, it's messed up. The song is messed up. You know, Jefferson Airplane, they, they changed their names throughout the, se- the years. One of their One of their least commercially liked songs is We Built the City on Rock and Roll. Oh, it was successful as hell, but just people hate it for some reason. Yeah, it's like, or at least reviewers hated it. Yeah. I absolutely love that song. Oh, it's a fun that song. Is the, that is like a childhood anthem, you high know? High Roller. It high just, Roller. It brings up memories of High Roller. Yeah, you know, it, it's that childhood, it's like, when I hear that song, like on, on I guess, the oldie stations now, when I hear that song, it's like, yes. I love this song. And I will not change a channel. No, absolutely not. But now let's get into your final one. 
My final one, and I know you kind of wanted to say this, and I appreciate you letting me have this one, was White and Nerdy by Weird Al. Yep, absolutely. Released in 2006, the Undisputed King of Parodies gave us, no, blessed us with this song that was included off of his Straight Out of Linwood album. Aren't you just a fancy pants over there? Yes, I am. It's a parody of Raiden by Chameleonaire, if I'm saying that right. And the moment it hit, nerds everywhere rejoiced. Oh, yeah. I personally love this song, and I feel there's no song that I can identify that more so than this one itself. Let's take a quick listen. You see me roll on my Segway. I know in my heart they think I'm white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. I like to roll with the gangsters. Although it's apparent I'm too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. I'm just too white and nerdy. How'd I get so white and now, Weird Al raps about everything considered nerd culture, such as Dungeons and Dragons to Star Trek and Renaissance fairs and everything in between. And I have to say, one of the things that I love and admire about him is the fact that he always has his finger on the pulse of pop culture. This song just proves he's still keeping up with the times, not only with the topic, but also the subject he chose to lampoon. I mean, think about it. Back when Michael Jackson was huge, he parodied Michael Jackson. You know, back in the early days, like with his first stuff that came out in the uh, 70s and 80s, he did like Queen and the Rolling Stones with like the Hot Rocks. Well, wasn't it, wasn't it the Clash that did My Sharona? Ah, uh, The Knack. The Knack. Right. Did, and, they, and he parodied that with My Bologna. Exactly. So, I mean, he keeps up with the artists that are doing it. In fact, even Lady Gaga with Perform This Way, which I'm sorry, I think that song's hilarious too. So I love the fact that he keeps up on this one. And here's an important note that I think at least, and that's that the song was released more than a year before the premiere of CBS's Big Bang Theory. Okay. Who's release made it cool to be a nerd or a geek, which is now known as Geek Chic. Weird Al did it before they all. Now, we listened to this song before we started, not because we needed to, but because we wanted to. Absolutely. Because we're a couple of nerds, and we're white. I mean, this is our song, man. This is our anthem. That This is exactly right. But my favorite line, and I don't know why, because I'm not fluent in either of these, but he said, you know, I'm fluent in JavaScript and in Klingon. Now, I'm not that nerdy. I'm not I'm not fluent in either of those. I, I'm not a programmer, and I don't speak Klingon. But, you know, it's just one of these songs that if you're nerdy on any level, you don't have to be full-blown nerd. Because I wouldn't say you and I are, you know, super nerds. No. But we, we could go through this ep- We could go through this list and probably check off yes and no for a lot of these things. And I'll oh, bet yeah, you there's going to be a lot of yeses. Oh, I would say so. And I, I'm guessing between the two of us, we might click them all yes. For the most part, yeah. You Except know. for Vector Calculus. Fuck that. <laughs> so we can click most of the list. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was kind of funny because he talks about AV Club and Glee Club and, and all the these other things. <laughs> and the chess team. Now, I wasn't on – I didn't do those things, but I did theater. I was in the French club. Oh, see, he, he, he didn't do theater. He did theater. Theater, theater. So he was one of those pretentious type people that did theater. <laughs> no, I can't say as I was. I just, you know, I had fun – memorizing lines and making an ass out of myself. So kind of like this podcast. I don't need to memorize lines to make an ass out of myself. Well, you don't need to, but if you have the lines, it it helps. Yeah. (laughs) When this song came out, I had kind of gotten away from the whole Weird Al thing. You know, when I was younger, I was huge into Weird Al. And then, you know, life kind of gets in the way. And then this song came out and I was like, I heard it the first time. And I'm like, that sounds like Weird Al, you know, because there's other parody guys out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I found out it was Weird Al, and I'm like, 
Huh, so I started looking through his stuff, and I mean, he's got songs like Tacky, mm-hmm. which is another amazing... That was uh, released either this year or late last year, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, so it's just some of his new stuff. And I'm just like, maybe I gotta look into Weird Al again. You know, and I have to say, I remember when I was younger, I've been following him since, I, since Dr. Demento, which is pretty close to day one, and I got a lot of shit from people for it. You know, I mean, because he's a brilliant artist, and anybody who says he's not does not know music. Right. To do those kind of parodies is not easy. Well, I mean, he completely rewrites the song to fit in the music of the song. And he gets his band to play said songs. Right. Which is impressive in its own right. Well, you know, and it's amazing because if you look at his band, he's had the same band from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. In fact, Bermuda Schwartz, John Bermuda Schwartz, who was on the Another One Rides the Bus played his accordion case on the Tom Schneider show. Yep, yep. Way I've back seen that in the footage. Day. It's amazing. It's hilarious, you know? And it's hugely talented. And like I said, I've been a fan since the beginning. I got a lot of problems, a lot of hard time for it. In fact, I remember one time my uncle said, I'm going to buy you a CD for for a gift or birthday, graduation, whatever else. And I picked out a Weird Al one, and he's basically told me, really? <laughs> I'm like, I know I'm not buying I, you that shit. I, I know what I like, and... Now it's coming around because, you know, he's more, he's won a Grammy or he's won multiple Grammys and now people are liking him and it's kind of like the hipster thing. It's like, screw you. I liked him before he was popular. Yeah. You know, same with me. I started, I learned of him on Dr. Demento. I remember staying up, you know, Friday nights or was it Saturday nights? It was Sundays. It was Sundays from 10 to midnight. Or whatever night it was. And I remember staying up and listening to it real quiet in my room because I'm supposed to be sleeping. Exactly. Me too. You know, and, uh. Weird Al was the guy each week when they did stuff. It was like, you know, oh, yeah, Fish Heads was great. And, you know, this was great. But when it was time for Weird Al, you were like, oh, yeah. And it was on Z104. Yeah. Because it was the Westward One radio network that was always on there. And it was the funny five. They did the top five. And any time that Weird Al had a new one, he was usually pretty close to the top of that list. And, uh, again, I've never looked back. I've seen him in concert, I think, either three or four times. Puts on a killer show. I would recommend it to anybody. And, I mean, I can't say enough about the guy. I, I've met him. I actually got to meet him in person. In fact, he's he's an award-winning book writer, too, actually. Yeah, yeah. He's written a bunch of children's books. One of his children's books, he was doing a signed release in Pennsylvania when I lived out on the East Coast. Okay. And we drove over, stood in line, and I got my copy of UHS, uh, UHF autographed. Oh, that's that would be brilliant. I got a copy of UHF as well. And then he autographed the book, and I got pictures with him. And nicest guy in person too. I mean, it's just probably one of the most cordial, yeah, and just nicest people that's out there. So I I have shaken his hand, but it was kind of one of those pass in the night kind of things. Okay. So I didn't really get to talk to him all that much, but I have actually been to seven or eight Weird Al concerts. Really. I, yeah, most of them here at the fair in, in Wausau, because I would go to every show. Back when they sold tickets, I would buy tickets to two or three shows. Nice. Because I was like, every show was different, and if you went to the early show, he didn't have the big, you know, movie screen Tron. going on. And then when you went to the second movie, it was different songs, and it was different lineup, because he had that big thing going on up on top. And so I would buy... When they, when they sold tickets just for the, the bands, I would buy the tickets. And then there was a few times, and actually we introduced our daughters the last time he came through Wausau. Our girls were five and six, I think, or something like that. And we introduced them to Weird Al at that point, and they just loved it. They, they thought it was awesome. When he came out on stage in the fat suit. Oh, yeah. For fat. They were just like, oh! You know, so it, it was a lot of fun. But 
with that, I think we're going to wrap this up. All right. All right. So if you want to reach out to us, give us any 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 form of criticism, any form of you know platitudes. We take those too. We like those as well. You can do so. Uh, just drop us an email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're more into the social media thing, you can find us on Facebook at POI Network or at Musically Challenged Podcast. Either way, we look forward to hearing from you. And with that, Lou, any final words of wisdom? There is. And actually, it's to give our question, our answer. Oh, yes, the answer. See, I told you people <laughs> were going to forget. So the question was, Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses used to earn $8 an hour for doing what as part of a UCLA science experiment? Well, I know the answer, but I'll tell you what my first thought was. And that was masturbating. Like a spider monkey. Probably no. <laughs> the answer was smoking cigarettes. Okay. He got paid to smoke cigarettes. That probably right up his alley. I would guess so. If they would have thrown in a fifth of Jack, I'm sure he'd have been happy as a pig and shit. There you go. And with that, I'm going to say once again, thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio. <laughs>